Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. We are here today with one of my favorite actors, a very ride or die sweaty, a man that knows his comics, and a man who has directed and written a movie which he also stars in, Seth Green. How you doing, man? Welcome. How how you doing? Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I've been thinking about it nonstop. It is one of those movies that it fills a void I didn't know I had. It's a type of movie that I missed. And the entire time from start to finish, I was just so warm and happy. Oh, good. It's fantastic. Thanks, man. So when you were shaping this movie, to me, it reminded me of the that that timeless feel of a movie where you don't know what decade it takes place in. You don't know when it's supposed to be. It just feels like a complete film. And that's so hard to find now. I don't have to read. I don't have to study after it's just a movie when you were shaping the script was that intentional i i guess but not i wasn't thinking about it as consciously as that i i had taken a trip with one of my best friends dan and we (laughs) were in thailand and everything that happened to us from us being mistaken as a honeymooning couple to you know hopping into canoes and visiting james bond island it was all stuff that actually happened to us and the whole experience uh the people that we met the the types of interactions we were having, it all felt like a movie. And so I started taking pictures and imagining that this would be a film, you know, kind of like an early 90s Soderbergh at my best bet, just like a slice of life, people experiencing something and working things out. And and what was the point where you were like, I'm going to direct a feature film. This is definitely a thing that is in my purview and I will set out and accomplish it. Because this doesn't look like someone's first feature film, by the way. Oh, thanks. It looks amazing. Oh, thanks. Um, I don't, remember there being a moment where I looked at it with that kind of resonance and Mm. thought, I am going to direct a feature. It was more, um, well, I'd really love to tell this story. I think this would be a compelling uh, piece of cinema. And there's no way for me to convey these ideas to anyone uh, for them to be able to represent it. And also, we didn't have any money. I knew to really pull this off, we were going to have to do it as inexpensively as possible. And I wanted to put everything on screen. So more as a matter of course, it made sense for me to be able to direct it. Like if I do three jobs, we don't have to pay two other people. Kind of. And also (laughs) there'd be a shorthand. I, I, I knew that because I had written it, 
that I could safely say on set what was or was not the movie. And so mm -hmm. as things happened, as actors had ideas, as location obstacles presented themselves, or even just over the course of making it, you have to answer questions. I knew I'd been in a unique position to say that is or is not the movie. Now, you cast a lot of people you know well, and you have that shorthand in that as well. Like, not only just between you and you, but between you and friends and people on set. Yeah. When you were shaping the story, were there people that you added in late in the game? You're like, oh, that's perfect. Was there, like, a, an aha moment with a cast member? Uh, not with the casting, more with the characters. I rewrote the script like, at least six times completely where it's the same set pieces and the same basic through line. I'm still talking about the same... Um, topics love and friendship and forgiveness and the life you choose versus the life you think that you're supposed to live um but but things evolved over time most of the characters i wrote specifically for actors that i knew would be able to handle it would be able to give me something that was really valuable and also that um were professional enough to just give it to me great in a take or two mm -hmm. yeah but, you know, you stack the deck in your favor when you make something like this. You try and surround yourself with the safest gang of, of awesome people so that it works. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned Soderbergh. Were there any other influences, like, through you, you've been decades of filmmaking? Were there, there people that inspired you, like, in a directing style? Um, yeah, I love movies. Um, <laughs> but, but this type of movie, it, it was, um, you know, yeah, I really loved how Sideways got put together which is very different than most of Alexander Payne's movies. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love Garden State, uh, which, which oddly enough is different than Zach's other movies. Mm. You, it, it's like the right person for the right story at the right time. So you are, you're working in a long tradition here in terms of the transformative travelogue. Was there anything that you definitely <laughs> wanted to accomplish or stay away from? Or like how did that like, body of work guide you as you were planning this one out? Um, I really just tried to stay true to the story itself. I just, um, I, I had been so inspired by Thailand and all the different characters that we met and the way that everyone had found their way there through different circumstances. I like the idea of um, different people solving their own life's questions in completely different ways, but being personally happy nonetheless. Sorry, guys, I gotta catch a train. It's <laughs> literally here for me. It's, uh, you're, late. you're already late. <laughs> the sounds of burn. <laughs> One of the things I, I really enjoyed, and I don't want to give anything away, so I'm just gonna to vague book here, but I, I love that with your career, you've always been able to choose genre content because I know how much you love genre hmm. content of your own, like comics and, and the sci fi in the world. And there are so many impossibly subtle things that nod <laughs> to things that I'm, again, I'm not gonna give away, yeah. but the entire time I was going like, a nerd made this. Yeah. And was that something on set? Like, how, how early was that a conscious choice? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you just have fun with stuff. <laughs> and once, you, once, you're, once you feel like you're doing um, diligent service to the story, um, anything that you add that doesn't compete with the audience's ability to interpret it, I think, is fair game. And so, to that end, I just thought it would be really funny to put a lot of stuff in that only if you knew that that's a thing would that be something you'd notice but nothing that would be actually distracting you know or so intentional that the audience is like what is that right right yeah, yeah that's what it felt like it was definitely the, the deeper cuts good uh <laughs> Sorry, go. so you've been making stuff for a long time now you've been involved in hollywood for a long time now what was new and different about this experience about these challenges uh well i guess it was just the doing it like the actual doing it I've, I've gotten to direct a bunch of stuff i've gotten to work with a lot of actors i've been on you know over I've, I've gotten to work on over 40 movies so i've gotten to watch actors and directors and producers i've gotten to see all the things they do right and wrong and i pay really close attention so 
I didn't try to set myself up for something that was so showy because my goal is not to like, look at me, I'm a director. I really just wanted to tell the story well um, and make this movie as effectively as possible. It's one of those movies for me that I was enjoying it so much I was introspective about my own life. I really liked that the message made you reflect on yourself. Oh, and I, I really, the, the whole perspective on partnership really struck me. And it was, mm-hmm. it was such great storytelling visually and narratively. Were there other cuts where you had like different elements? Like I, you said you rewrote it six times, but did, yeah. it really landed visually and like here. Oh, thank you. I, um, you know, I, I had always been told that you make three movies. There's a movie you write because you have to write it a particular way with a certain amount of dialogue and a certain type of stage direction for the reader to be able to understand and connect with what you're doing. And then there's the movie you shoot, which allows for discovery and complications that you know breed invention, and you have to sort of adjust to what's actually happening. You're in a scene and realize, oh, this, this can't go this way, or you know what would be better is if you said this. And then there's the movie that you edit, because when you get it all home and you got to make a movie out of it, it just looks <laughs> completely different. Um, and I, I wound up being able to uh, trim certain bits of dialogue. In fact, dialogue I thought was the sum total of the point of the movie I was able to extract in favor of playing a moment just as a, a look between two characters or um, something where a music cue took, took control. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you're like, we did this so well that you don't have to actually say what it was any longer. Well, I mean, that's what you hope for, yeah. but I had heard that from a lot of people, and that I, I had uh, originally cut a version of it that was an hour 47, knowing that I was going to cut a half an hour out of the movie, and then I let friends of mine who were directors or producers or, or storytellers, and I let them look at it, and I got some incredible advice back. Like Everyone took the time to watch it and tell me something that was very, very helpful. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that can only happen in this, like the collaborative nature of film is so important and the, this reads is very collaborative. You also got to be okay with taking the hit when people are saying it's just not working. It's <laughs> yeah. absolutely not working. Like this doesn't work. I don't like this character. You completely missed this moment. What are you trying to accomplish here? Cause it's not playing. And then you as the director are like, well, instead of being like, well, don't you get it? <laughs> don't you get it? I'm doing this. You just have to go, okay, well, I clearly haven't done my job well enough if the audience isn't receiving it the way I've intended. For any creatives out watching right now, what was a big learning moment for you? Is there anything that you will do differently for your second film? Well, just as an actor, um, it is very difficult to... Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think I took a lot for granted as a performer. I did a lot of work in advance, and then because I wrote the character, I had an expectation of, of what I would need on set. And because I was on set... Um, calling action, calling cut in a scene, and I'd give everyone else their information, and then we would just like roll and shoot. Um, I definitely would do that just a little bit differently if I ever do it again. Hmm. Yeah. But I also didn't take the time to go back and look at takes on the monitor because that, that hmm. fundamentally wastes time. And um, when you're making a movie for this little money under these kind of circumstances, you just need it to keep moving. Yeah. So that would have meant a a lot of trust in your team, I assume. Yeah, well, like I said, I packed all of the areas with a a valuable team and a lot of support. So I had, uh, you know, producers behind the camera would be like, I think we need another one. Or any of the other actors were all very communicative about how it played. Now, I love, uh, he's on the poster, so it's safe to say, Matt Culkin in this is... (laughs) I, I, all the choices he makes, beautifully fantastic. It was, it was so good to see <laughs> that character. Uh, when did you decide 
to bring your friends to Thailand? Like, I know, I know the inception of the story, but when was the decision to be like, hey, let's actually make this a journey? Was it like a year out? Like, how long was the once, once it was landed, once you were ready to go? I don't know. I think I had been telling everybody that was cast in the movie that I'd been writing parts for them for several years. <laughs> okay. And everybody knew abstractly about this Thailand movie that I was going to try and put together. But I didn't let anybody read the script until I was sure it was at least a version of the movie we could make. Um, and when we started going out and getting financing for it, that, that's when it became a reality. Um, you don't want anybody to have a bad experience. And I, I would have been horrified if any of my friends passed after I'd gone through all this. <laughs> like with Mac, it's, the, it's a great example. This character, Ian, was a character that my friend Dan and I met when we were in Thailand. There was a guy who was the captain of our snorkel boat tour and he's not as outrageous or as wild as as mac is in the movie but the character needs to be more exaggerated for the benefit of the film and i had always told him that i was writing this part because he was the best person to play it you know mac doesn't care about maintaining his own celebrity or like (laughs) trying to nurture his career he's really just quite happy doing whatever he wants to do and so i was very happy that he gave me the goods on this movie (laughs) because i think it's an invaluable part of the film it is, and it's, it's a very funny one, and it's one of the, the like comic highlights as you weave between tones. Uh, now, did the choice of balancing comedy and drama and, and all of that for this just come out of this being the story you wanted to tell? Because obviously you've worked in every kind of story there is. Oh, thanks. Well, I had written a version of this that was far harder of an R-rated comedy uh, as one of my first drafts, and it, it felt just disingenuous to what I was trying to make ultimately, and um, even though I do like that balance, I, I feel like the comedy in this movie is less uh, farcical, um, you know, set piece based comedy and more just sort of the novelty that comes with life. One of the things I liked most was how you, you slice a life and that's so hard to accomplish, especially as we get desensitized to life. Like we're, <laughs> we're in our phones, we're in the world, we're in these spectacle films and it feels like you're just in that page. So now that we're on Collider Heroes, I got to switch gears to comic books. The opposite. Yeah. We're living in the world of reality in your movie, but you know the world of comics so well. You're in so much genre content. Is there anything you're reading right now that you're totally vibing with? Well, yeah, you and I had that awesome <laughs> comic book shopping day, and as a result, I got turned on to a bunch of stuff. I really have not been out of it, but haven't um, put focus on staying current or, or reading new stuff. And I you know, it's, it's to my own detriment. Um, it just means every time you tune back in, it's like, here's a boatload of new amazing stuff. Which is pretty great. Yeah. I've been enjoying that. Yeah, I've been reading that uh, Zdarsky, Peter Parker. Yeah. Uh, which I've been really enjoying. You gave me a couple of those collected works, the, so I've just been working my way through that. His comedy is, is insane, and he gets the voice of Spider-Man, I think, super yeah. well. Yeah, Spider-Man's my favorite, so... We were talking Spider-Verse right before, yeah. uh, and it's been out long enough. I can safely say spoilers are fair game, guys. Sure. If you haven't seen Spider-Verse, you're watching the wrong show. Yeah. Uh, for your first experience into it, seeing like Sienkiewicz's Kingpin or like mm-hmm. Ultimate Green Goblin, mm-hmm. seeing all of that come to life, what was that like for you the first time you watched it? I mean, that's like a nerd's paradise. If you love Spider-Man, that movie is everything you'd ever want it to be. But moreover, it is an access portal to the character mm. No matter who you are or what your background is, you can know nothing about it and watch that movie and really be caught up in wanting to wear the mask or appreciating a world where Spider-Man is that, is that character. Like, I really loved it. I, you know, you, you read Ultimates and you think, oh, Miles Morales is a cool character. This take on this is so great. But, man, when you see it in the movie, you're like, wow, this is... I'd watch any of these movies. I'd yeah. watch the Spider-Gwen movie. I'd watch the 
the uh, uh, the Penny Parker movie. Like, yeah. I've watched any of that. I can't wait to see the expansions into it. And when we spoke, uh, Shazam had just come out. We'd just seen Shazam, which yeah. is another, like, life-fulfilling movie. Like, how is this much heart in this character that they – how? Well, but, Zachary Levi. I mean, yeah, he is Billy Batson, man. He did that. Yeah. But also, that movie's so well-directed and so well-written. I think such a crowd-pleaser. It's great to have that. So I'm curious, with you having directed now, would, I hadn't seen the, your movie at the time. Do no. you watch movies differently as a director, now that you've been behind the camera in a different way? Um, I mean, I definitely appreciate when something is technically accomplished, uh, but I still very much enjoy getting caught up in movies. I think I'm, I'm still a good audience. All, all your producers, everyone I talked to at the screening had seen it and were still just as they were like, it was like watching it for the first time. It was oh. like fully leaning in. Oh, right on. And that was a really beautiful thing at a screening of all places where like, you know, your, your suits, so to speak, are fully like there. Yeah, I've been in a, a vacuum with it. I mean, I've only seen it with uh, three audiences at this point, and they're all somewhat predisposed to like it. So I definitely have that. <laughs> that, that You're not trusting general- it yet? Well, I don't know that you ever trust compliments, but it, it, it's... Um, gaining some comfort with just giving it to people and letting them have their way with it good or bad i think that's that's all i've been trying to achieve <laughs> now technical accomplishments uh we got to talk endgame because that has come out since i've seen sure. you and endgame the third act we won't spoil just in case but the, the movie just escalates to a place that i didn't think that could be a comic on film to that level yeah. they gave us civil war and that was the first like panel spread and this was almost mm. beyond comics i remember uh, seeing in avengers the first time that joss photographed a splash page and you got all mm-hmm. of them back to back i was like holy cow we are just living in the greatest time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that, i'm curious uh, watching that as a lifelong nerd, watching this change over time, what has been your perspective on the last couple decades of all this stuff exploding and having so many more people to talk to about the stuff that we've always loved? <laughs> well, I mean, I certainly appreciate that all the things that I got my ass kicked over loving in, in grade school have now become the most financially viable <laughs> IP on the planet. Like That definitely <laughs> is somewhat reassuring that I spent my time in earnest and not in vain through, through that whole thing. But But all of this evolution is just culture understanding over a long period of time that these characters, these stories can be represented in whatever shape or tone serves the character or story best. And that's what I like. So, you know, I I grew up um, watching reruns of the 60s Batman, and that was the best version of Batman you were going to get on film. By the time the Michael Keaton Batman came out, you were like, oh, cool. Tim Burton has enough leeway to tell a sort of dark and artistic interpretation of this character so then when nolan puts out that batman culture is ready to receive something that is more dark a little more investigative of human condition Mm -hmm. um and now we're you can even look at it through spider-man so Mm -hmm. each of the versions of spider-man that we've gotten culturally has just been what the the world is ready to absorb at the time and Mm -hmm. so it's not that anyone is much better than the other because at the time they were all really good like when i saw the sam raimi spider-man i was like i can't believe we're living through a time (laughs) where this is possible and now you can go back and say okay well the best interpretation of spider-man is as a teenager so you get to see him as a kid you get to see him make the mistakes like you're you're not jumped into a world where he's already abandoning all of his attachments and you know, refusing to love anyone. It's, yeah. It, it, it's a, it's a great, it's just a great time guys. Like 
how happy are we? Oh, I it's mean, perfect. <laughs> like, it. there's too much content to even cover, and that's that's a, it went from every three years getting a movie to once a year to now it's like every season and there's TV, Hulu, Netflix, like the Daredevil show. Well, and my my familiarity, my my personal ability to absorb all of that is is dwarfed by the youth culture that has taken it as their own, and so I really love that 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 I'm able to have. Not just conversations, but conversations where I don't even know what somebody <laughs> is talking about. And we're both talking about something that I love deeply. And there's yeah. all these new iterations of it out there. What yeah. do you want to see next for, for this world? I don't know. I think everybody that's doing it is doing pretty good. So I, I'd love the same attention and focus on quality, um, regardless of what the title is or what the genre is. If it's, if it's done really well then it works the same as any of the titles in any of the books where you can just jump in and find the character you love the most, the one mm-hmm. that you relate to the most, whether that's Iron Fist or Black Panther. You're like, oh, I see myself in this. And, there's, and then there's great, compelling, well-made content for you. It's, it's like a golden age. Is there any comic over the years that you'd recommend anyone that hasn't picked up a book? If they, if they found you and were like, any comic you... that you're portals in. Yeah, your gateway drug to comics. That's tough, man, because there's so many things I would say you got to read this. I, I always think that Watchmen is a really good uh, definition of uh, real-world application to superhero concepts. But then I love the basic wish-fulfillment stuff like Spider-Man. Spider-Man and Batman are my favorites. And so you can, you can pretty much jump in anywhere and find something to relate to. Is there anything you want to do from a filmmaking standpoint in the world of comics? Like when I, weirdly, when I was watching a movie, I thought of Booster Gold like three times, <laughs> and I'm not sure how that leap happened. But maybe, I was like, man, I want to see a Booster Gold movie. Maybe Jeff Johns Booster Gold. Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> There's um, a little blue and gold energy to your two main characters. I, I definitely got some Booster Gold flavor. And I was like, man, I'd watch that in a second. A slice I'll of life Booster that. movie. I don't know. I haven't really been um, drawn to it that way, and I think that's the thing you need as a director is is some very clear vision of a particular story. You know, I love I love Spider-Man, so I I could absolutely see myself at some point trying to make one of those stories. But the way it's been represented on film, it's usually so innovative. I'm like, I never would have thought of that. So, <laughs> so I really like it in the hands of all the people that it's in. But you, of course, you've had lots of chances to kind of play with these toys, not to put too fine a point on it, <laughs> uh, over, over the years uh, yeah. in animation. So has that sort of scratched that, like... You've made some of the all-time greatest pop culture parodies, for the record. Robot Chicken is uh, an institution. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've always loved movies. I've always loved acting. That's always been my priority. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's definitely been a strange... I won't even call it a detour, because it's like a simultaneous uh, uh, highway where getting to... um, so deeply represent uh, my people on film <laughs> um, is simultaneous with getting to play other uh, characters that are not considered genre. Um, so I just, I guess I just hope to be able to keep doing that, mm. you know? Well, even amongst friends, capturing chemistry is so hard to do, and Change Land is, is chemistry through and through. I love this movie so very much. I can't wait to see it again June 7th. Right it on. is out on June 7th in theaters. Check changelandmovie.com out for a list of theaters near you, and you can get it on iTunes day and date on that day, and I cannot recommend it more. I really love this movie. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming to Collide Heroes. My pleasure, guys. Where did you get this shirt? This shirt? Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> It's a beautiful new world. It really is. Amazon has it all. Grandma's no Thanos, and Amazon has Ghost Rider. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> 
Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. Stay little chico, Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 